What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We're a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. We're still posting daily content over there. These podcasts, we have daily pickup articles, and we still have our usual content coming out on the weekly side as well. Weather reports, two-star pitchers, all kinds of different content for you guys over there that will continue through the end of the regular season. So make sure you guys are checking out EthosFantasyBB. And if you're not using Twitter, go to SportsEthos.com and you guys get access to all that same great content. Football is in full swing. Basketball is right around the corner, and there's a lot of great stuff for you guys over there, either on Twitter or at sportsethos.com. I'd recommend you guys check out both places. But today we're going to talk about some news from over the weekend. There's been some injuries. There's been some kind of bad news uh, for a couple of players. There's also been a little bit of good news uh, for one or two players we'll talk about as well. But I do want to start off by addressing the George Kirby situation from over the weekend. So if you guys didn't see, you probably did. If you have a pulse on what's going on in the game of baseball, everybody's been talking about George Kirby. So he came back out. This was on Friday, I believe. Was it Friday or was it Saturday? Uh, Maybe it was Saturday. George Kirby was at 90 pitches. Didn't think he should have gone back out for the seventh inning. He did end up, I believe, giving up a home run when he went back out there. And then when they were talking about him or when they were talking to him, in the post-game presser, George Kirby said, I wish I wasn't out there for the seventh. I was at 90 pitches. I didn't think I needed to go anymore. Uh, he said a few more comments during that during that media uh, session. And he got a hell of a lot of hate for it. And I do think that it was really stupid to air this kind of thing publicly. Um, I think that this is something that should be handled in-house. If you're going to talk to your manager or the manager's going to talk to you or the pitching coach, like any kind of decisions like this, shouldn't really be aired publicly and I don't think it comes off looking great for George Kirby either because everybody has this mentality that you have to always want to stay in the game no matter what and I think it's kind of unfair the the criticism he's gotten like uh, some of it is fair some of it is fair but I also think that we we expect too much of these athletes sometimes George Kirby and it also comes back to the expectations that have been set by the organization, by Major League Baseball as a whole, and just by our culture as baseball fans. So recently, over the last, ah, uh, God, how many years is it now? Probably like a better part of a decade, even longer maybe, pitchers haven't really been asked to go much far farther than 100 pitches. Usually 90 to 100 pitches, you're done. Even if you are still looking pretty good, if you're at 95 pitches, you're usually not coming back out. There are certain exceptions. Sometimes, you know, your Garrett Coles of the world, your Scherzer. Certain pitchers will make a stink. There was that famous one from last year or the year before where Garrett Cole was at eight and two-thirds innings pitched. He was like 130 pitches. Boone came out to try and pull him. And Garrett Cole pretty much told Boone, like, go back in the dugout. I'm not coming out of this game. He ended up striking out the next batter, complete game. And you get situations where that happens, where these pitchers are really on, and they just want to keep pitching. To assume that every pitcher always feels 100% on and they feel like they always need to throw more pitches in a game, I think is kind of false. We have trained these pitchers collectively as a baseball community over the last decade. Maybe it's a little bit longer, maybe it's a little bit shorter, but roughly a decade to be conditioned to not throw past about 100 pitches. It's hard to blame Kirby for throwing six innings at about 90, I think it was 94 pitches through the six innings, 92, 94 
it's hard to blame him at that point for expecting his day to be done and kind of mentally at that point saying, okay, I, I've, I've done my job for the day. I've thrown six innings, pretty decent six innings. It wasn't amazing for George Kirby, and certainly coming back out and giving up the home run uh, didn't help. Four runs on five hits, two walks for George Kirby in the first inning. That might have been a sign for them that day that George Kirby did not have his A stuff. He was still able to go give him six competitive, pretty competitive innings. It wasn't his best work, but it was still fine. I think that there's probably too much hate being given to him because he said something that he probably shouldn't have said to the media. The other part of this is maybe we should like this. Maybe we should like pitchers going out and and players in general, and not even just baseball players, but athletes, kind of telling us how they actually feel. How many times have we heard bullshit cookie-cutter answers from players, from managers, coaches, general managers, owners, whoever, that are very generic, that sound like they just pulled them off the internet, and there's no feeling, there's no emotion in them. And you have these guys that will say something like, that was a tough-fought battle, you know, tomorrow tomorrow we'll give it our best go, today we just didn't have it. You know, just shit like that, that doesn't give you anything, really. Uh, The boys fought hard today, came up a little bit short, but you know, this shit like that, that doesn't help anybody. I'm not saying that what George Kirby said helped anybody, but a little bit of honesty from athletes that has now been seen with such you know, aggression towards Kirby and, oh, I, I don't like Kirby anymore. He doesn't have any heart in him. He's, there's no dog in him. He doesn't like pitching or whatever nonsense people want to say. I think that it's kind of wrong. I'm not defending him actually going out there and saying these things because I think that is stupid. That's something that should be handled in-house more so than to the media. But I don't think that we should be vilifying Kirby the way that we have Uh, over the last few days in the press. He is one of the best young pitchers in baseball. He has some of the best control we have ever seen on a mound. Obviously, he takes his craft very seriously. He's not going to go out there and be one of the most dominant control pitchers we've ever seen in terms of hitting the zone just because of, uh, you know, He's not great. He doesn't really like pitching. He just happens to be, you know, the most has the most control we've seen in like 100 years from a starting pitcher. He obviously loves his craft. He's obviously devoted to his craft. And if he's saying the things that he said, maybe he didn't feel like he should have gone back out there. I don't think that's the end of the world. We always have this mentality of you got to push and push and push and push and push. It's not always the right way to be successful. Pushing when you're past your peak of a start or past your peak of a career, you know, CC Adam Wainwright on that one, it's not always going to have good results. And I think that we shouldn't vilify him so much for not feeling like he sh- was able to pitch more. I think that we're going to vilify him for anything. It's the fact that he needs to you know, be a little bit smarter with the media. He did come out and apologize the day after and say, I, I shouldn't have gone too far. I went too far with what I said. I, I shouldn't have aired this kind of thing to the media. Uh, this should have been handled in-house, blah, blah, blah. He said the right things. The team probably told him what to say uh, when he was doing that apology. It, it kind of sucks that he even had to do an apology. I understand it. But I, I just think that he's getting a little bit too much hate here considering what what transpired. It's not like he threw two innings and he said, ah, you know what, I'm done with the day. I've thrown 42 pitches today. I'm done. He was almost at 100 pitches, and that's what we've trained pitchers to do, throw about 100 pitches and come out of the game. So it's hard to then turn around and criticize him for expecting that he's done after he's pitched about the amount that we're all used to seeing every pitcher throw in this game. You have a good start, you're throwing 100 pitches. That's pretty much it. You're not usually going to throw 120, 130, 140. This isn't back in the day. There's too many analytical things at play that don't let pitchers go beyond a certain number because they don't want to cause injuries, fourth time through the batting order, blah, blah, blah. Pitchers are not used to this. So I, I, I think that we've probably pushed the hate a little bit too far for George Kirby, but that's just my opinion. Uh, I just wanted to get my thoughts on record there. But let's talk about a couple of other pieces of news here. Jason Dominguez is kind of the big one. Jason Dominguez tore his UCL, and this one was so out of the blue. Just got the notification from Jeff Passan last night. 
that he tore his UCL and he is going to be done for the rest of the season. Now, I'm not sure about next year for Jason Dominguez. It will come into play in the offseason how his recovery is going. The UCL is very interesting, and it's also very dependent on your position and your role on the team. So Shohei Otani tore his UCL. He was back and DHing. I want to double-check this. Uh, I think it was seven months, about seven months, and then he came back. Uh, let me just quickly, I should have had that already uh, prepared here, but I just a random thought that crossed in my head. I think it was seven months for Otani. I think, it, and I have it here in the past and tweet. Um, seven months for Otani, five months for Bryce Harper. Now, pitchers obviously take a lot longer to come back. So when we hear UCL Tommy John, we immediately, our brain goes to, he's done for a year. He's done for 18 months. For Jason Dominguez, you know, he could reasonably you know you could say he could come back on the shorter end of that timeline but the Yankees have a few DH specific types like Giancarlo Stanton pretty much should he, every now and then he'll play the field he should be just the DH if, if Dominguez is able to come back on the shorter end of that timeline it wouldn't be with much throwing he would have to DH pretty much exclusively if you're coming back in the five to seven month kind of range obviously everybody's body heals differently too Maybe Dominguez does incredibly well with the surgery, comes back in the shorter end. Maybe it doesn't go particularly well, and he has to miss a whole year. Obviously, for this year, he's a drop, and it sucks for those of you who spend a good amount of your fab, a high waiver priority. Saw him you know, light the world on fire here for the first week. Like Jason Dominguez has been absolutely on fire, and you might have thought you got yourself a league winner. And, it, and it, you know, legitimately, you probably did if he didn't get hurt. Jason Dominguez, over his first 31 at-bats, hit four home runs. He's batting two fifty-eight, which is whatever, but six runs, seven RBIs. He stole a base in there, batting third every day in the Yankee lineup. Good reason to believe that he was going to lead you to the promised land. He's a drop, but I think the bigger question is next season. Where are we drafting Jason Dominguez? And I think that's a question that we can't really answer today. You have to look at the prospect pedigree very high. He also did have some kind of weird splits and weird stretches in the minor leagues where Eric Cross said this to me when we were doing the, the trade deadline show. There were times when he was seemingly very overrated as a prospect, and then times where he was seemingly underrated, and it kind of just bounced back and forth a little bit. Overall, the skill set is is there. He is called the Martian for a reason because he has otherworldly talent. The power is ridiculous. We saw it here over the first week. He had four home runs. If he is able to come back and be healthy for opening day, then he's probably somebody that you're taking at the back end of your 12-teamers. You're taking him probably in the 200 to 250 kind of range. We don't have a huge sample size to work off of here. If we gotten a few more weeks out of him and then he got hurt, maybe that price tag looks a little differently. Right now, I'm going to speculate that he'll be somebody that goes with one of the last few picks of a 12-team league draft. Somewhere in the 230 to 250 range is probably what I'm, what I'm seeing right now. People will see the Yankees, and they obviously love drafted Yankees people are obviously kind of more drawn to the bigger market teams if there's a big superstar that you know emerges on the Yankees versus on the athletics of the Royals they're more likely to get um, you know placed higher in draft boards if they're playing for the Yankees Jason Dominguez being a Yankee being a fairly high prospect coming onto the scene and immediately showing off you got to think that he is regardless of what the news is going to be drafted but I do think that you're probably looking at 12 team range somewhere in the back end uh, if he you know if we get reports that he is ahead of schedule that he's looking really good uh you know he's throwing the ball he's able to do everything that he was doing before the injury and we're hearing those reports like february march then i'm going to be very interested i don't think that people will push him up too too high to the point where you don't want to be in on him i think that you probably are going to get him at a pretty reasonable price regardless 
it's it's still too early. Like I'm just trying to go through my whole thought process here. This is still very new. This is from last night. If I was drafting for the, for next year right now, I don't know exactly where I would take him. My speculative kind of range is back end of 12 teamers, but that could definitely change based on the news. But it's somebody somebody that you obviously have to be dropping uh, for right now. There's no need to be holding on to him. In any in any kind of redraft format, if you have keepers, it's very l- unlikely, I would say, that Jason Dominguez is going to be one of your keepers unless you have, like, 20 keepers. Uh, if you're looking at your standard, you know, between three and seven, which is a lot of a lot of those keeper leagues, it's hard to see him being one of your seven or ten best players even. Uh, so he's a drop in all of those formats. But next year is what is really going to be interesting for me to see how he's doing in the recovery process and where we will be picking him in drafts. But I do think somewhere in the 200s, uh, mid-200s, is where we're likely to see Jason Dominguez. Now, we had another kind of bit of news with prospect, but this one is a, is a good piece of news with the prospect. Pico Armstrong is going to be finally coming to the big leagues uh, for the Chicago Cubs. He's going to be playing. I'm not sure if he's going to be actually in the lineup immediately, like if the if the transaction has gone through yet. I'm not sure. But he's definitely somebody that interests me uh, for right now. If they play him today, I'm not sh- I haven't seen that. I don't think they are going to play him today. But they're in Colorado right now. Even if you just get a couple of Colorado games out of him to start his career, that I mean, you're not picking him up just for a couple of games, but it's definitely a good landing spot for you to have your first couple of games. I'd say a jumping off point more than a landing spot. You got a good ballpark against horrible pitchers where you could make a little bit of a mark. Now, Armstrong, through the course of the minor leagues, has been excellent. He had 20 home runs, 37 steals this year in the minors, batting about 280. Really solid stuff. Now, he's going to take over in center, it looks like, for the Cubs. I think Bellinger is going to move more over to first. Candelario, I think, is on the injured list now, so that'll open up a spot for them. So Armstrong should be playing pretty much every day. Again, I don't, I haven't heard a report, so I think he's probably more likely to be up for tomorrow. You get a couple of Colorado games to jumpstart the career, and then you get a couple of weeks where he should be playing pretty much every single day. I do think that he is worthy of a, of a roster spot in a lot of 12-team leagues. If it's really shallow uh, 12-team league, like one utility spot, very small benches, maybe not, but I think 12 teams is probably the boundary where you're picking them up. 10-teamers, I don't think there's enough room, there's enough upside there for a couple weeks in a 10-team in a league. I think 12-teamers is where you're going with Pete Crow Armstrong right now. 15-teamers, obviously, as well. Now, it also leads to another point of what to do at this time of the season with anybody. Do you just pick up these players and hold them in your lineup for the next couple weeks just because there's a lot of pedigree? No. Especially with somebody who has not proven it at the Major League level, somebody who's never been at the Major League level, you have to keep your expectations somewhat in check. So while I'm saying pick up Armstrong for now – if he goes 0 for his first 22 or 2 for 22 and isn't looking great, then you don't hold out hope for these last couple of weeks. And your head-to-head league specifically, any league specifically, <coughs> excuse me, but if you need that production over these next couple of weeks, you pick him up and you see, because there is definitely potential for him to bat somewhere in the middle of the lineup, give you good counting stats and a little bit of power speed. There's also the chance that he does not hit the ground running and you've got to immediately be able to turn and drop him and say, okay, it didn't work out. He's not working out right now. He's somebody that I got to drop. Next year, we'll take another look. But we are in the, the stretch run of the season where you need every, every man contributing, all hands on deck. Pick him up because there's a potential for him to be a very good asset. But if you see over the course of even just a week, even probably not even a week, probably three or four days, if he's not providing any kind of value, then you move on and you drop him, pick up the next guy because that's just how important uh, this time of year is right now. 
Armstrong could be great, but if he's not right off the bat, I would drop him for this. But I mean, you got to remember, we have three weeks left. There's not a lot of wiggle room. There's not a lot of learning the game time left for you and for your fantasy teams. I think that Pete Armstrong, very solid prospect, excellent prospect, top 10 by a lot of accounts, most accounts. But if it doesn't work out, then don't, uh, don't hesitate to send him right back to the waiver wire. Uh, Luis Severino is going to be done for the season. This one is probably overdue. What, a, what an awful, awful season uh, for Severino. He has an oblique strain, and he is a free agent at the end of the season, so it looks like he will be done uh, as a Yankee. For some reason, some unknown reason, he's still on 45% of rosters. He did have a couple of good starts there against Washington and Detroit, and then people started picking him back up again. But he was just garbage this year, like true, true trash. If you're playing a DFS, you pretty much could have played against him every single night, and you would have made probably a lot of money this year. A 650, a 665 ERA, a 165 whip, 79 Ks in 89 innings, only four wins. He was awful. The question becomes, obviously he's a drop. He was a drop months ago, probably. But the question is, what do we do with him going forward? And I think it really depends on where he goes. He's not going back to the Yankees, I don't think. I think we're at the point where they they don't want him back anymore, probably. If he goes to a pitching organization, an organization that's known for kind of rejuvenating pitchers, he goes to the Dodgers, he goes to the Guardians, he goes to San Francisco. I don't think it's going to be the Guardians, but if it's like a San Francisco or a Dodgers or, you know, hypothetically the Rays, even though it won't be the Rays, a team like that would have me a little bit interested in Severino because we have seen it over the course of full seasons at the big league level that Luis Severino can be an elite talent. Whether or not he'll get back there, I'm really not sure. But if he goes to some team, like if he signs with the Angels or something, then I think his career is over. But if he goes to a team that actually knows how to tinker with things, develop pitchers, mix little things, change little things in the repertoire, I think that we could see him return back to 2017-2018 form. Will it happen? I don't know. It's definitely in the range of outcomes, but it does have a huge uh, – the, the landing spot for Severino – will have a huge impact on how I value him next year. If he does, for some reason, go back to the Yankees, the Yankees have zero analytical analysis depth, anything going on in their organization other than looking at box scores. It looks like. Sean Casey's their hitting coach. Really weird decision-making on a lot of players. It doesn't look like they're very analytical a lot of the time. I don't know what they're going to be able to do for Severino at this point. Goes to another team, fresh faces, new coaches, you know, small tinkering here and there. And I think we could see uh, quite a different result from Severino that we were more expecting over these last couple of seasons. Last year was pretty okay for him in 102 innings, but just never really able to stay healthy going back to 2018 and 2017. So that's also a big factor too. Not that I would be like really in on him to the point where I'm drafting him high up or anything like that. But if he is somebody who signs with the Dodgers, which is a reasonable possibility, um, then I would be willing to take him with like a last round pick uh, in a lot of drafts just to see what you got there. Maybe it's terrible. Maybe it's great in that kind of range. It wouldn't really hurt you. So I would be willing to take that chance in a lot of leagues. Um, but again, it does depend on where he goes. So that'll be the really important X factor for me with Luis Severino. Uh, location, 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 location for him is going to be huge for next year. But obviously the 45% of rosters he's on is ridiculous. He needs to be dropped everywhere if you're talking Yahoo leagues. Uh, one last point that we have for today that kind of did take me by surprise a little bit was that Walker Bueller was shut down and he will not pitch again this season. I don't, I, I believe this includes the playoffs. Uh, they've said he won't pitch again in 2023. 
it's kind of strange. He'd been making a couple of rehab starts. He looked really good in his last one. It was two perfect innings uh, at AAA. This was about a week ago now. And he was supposed to make another start um, this, this past Friday, and I don't think he did. Uh, and now they've announced that he is going to be shut down for the rest of the year. It's really weird. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to continue pitching in the minors. The, the way they phrased it, it seems like he's probably done, but I don't know. I don't really get it. I mean, if he's able to return and pitch and pitch well, why would you shut him down unless there is some kind of uh, rehashing of an injury here? That's the only thing that I can read into it, and that does make me a little bit worried for Walker Bueller going forward. Is there an underlying injury with Bueller that they're not telling us about, which is why they shut him down? Because a healthy Walker Bueller coming back at this time of the year, you'd figure it'd be perfect for them. Julio Urias goes out. Their pitching has been kind of hit and miss. Kershaw had a, a really shaky start. Forget if it was his last one of the time before that, but it was like five walks, and you just like you figured they're a team that could look for some more pitching depth and say, yeah, we have Walker Bueller, who has been a Cy Young caliber pitcher in his career coming back. Why would we shut him down? You have to think it's injury related. It does make me kind of worried for next year. We'll have to see what the offseason reports are, and that comes, you know, it's kind of the main theme from today. We have to see what those offseason reports are going to be with Dominguez, what they're going to be with Severino, and now with Bueller, because we don't really, we can't really make any judgments. For next year, as of right now, we can, I can give you my opinion, which is that it's probably not great for Walker Bueller. But you give him six months over the offseason to heal up whatever it is, because I, I feel like there's got to be something. As long as it's not too sinister, maybe he's fine to go again at the start of next year. As of right now, I'm not feeling great about it. I'm really not. And he can't be somebody, as of right now, that is a big target for 2024. Unless we get some other kind of news that it's not an arm, that it's something else, that there's maybe there's a family thing going on or something, that would be preferable news to, to something with his arm. And obviously, like I was saying that, like you don't want there to be some family, something wrong with him or whatever. But and if there's an arm injury again with Walker Bueller, then you have to think, like, what are we doing here? He's going to be, is he 29? He's going to be 30 next year, I think. You got to start worrying a little bit for the long term if there is another arm injury here, which it could definitely uh, be based on the reports we've gotten. But that's going to wrap it up for me. I uh, hope I was able to highlight you guys, uh, highlight some news for you guys that happened over the weekend. Maybe you missed it. Maybe you didn't. Uh, either way, I hope you guys get something out of the show. If you have not already subscribed to the podcast, I'd really appreciate if you guys would do that. Uh, it does help more people to see the show as we enter into the downtime for baseball. We'll still be pumping out podcasts. And you guys subscribing to the pod, leaving us some ratings and reviews also does go a long way to helping more people find us. Uh, but tomorrow, we'll be back again. We were... Yeah, we're going to do another mailbag. For a second, I was like, eh, maybe I'll mix up. But no, there's there's no point with three weeks left in the season. Uh, I'm going to continue the Tuesday method the way that we have been doing it, answering your questions here on Twitter uh, and bringing it to the show to expand out on the ones that I think are going to apply to a mass audience. If you're asking about your 17-team, 14-category, OPS, saves plus holds, all this stuff, like it's probably not going to apply to more people other than just you. If you're asking, should I drop player A for player B in a 12-teamer, popular drop versus popular ad, then that's something that I will be bringing to the show uh, most likely. But you guys can get in on those mailbag questions tomorrow afternoon. You guys go check out my Twitter, at JoeOrico99. We'll drop a question. Might do it a little bit earlier uh, tomorrow because I am going to be down watching the Blue Jays tomorrow. Uh, Max Scherzer and Hunjin Ryu should be a lot of fun. But I'll be down at the ballpark 
So we're going to get that one out of the day, maybe a little bit earlier than we're used to. So go check out the Twitter. Like I said, JoeRico99. I'll also share it out from Ethos Fantasy BB, and we'll get your questions answered here as we are fully in the swing of head-to-head playoffs. But that will do it for me, guys. Like I said, JoeRico99, Ethos Fantasy BB on the Twitter, and SportsEthos.com, the website for you guys to be checking out all of our great work across all the major sports. But until tomorrow, guys, have a great night. Take care, and cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.